Hello everybody, I'm uh, Diane Sarabuzgarou and uh, I'm a, a French filmmaker. And uh, I'm Thomas Jenko and uh, I'm also a French director and uh, I'm also a cinematographer. So you want to know about hillbillies. Hillbilly is a word that stuck in the past. We got about a hundred years of coal mining. It totally changed everything really. We went from like mountaineers to like a bunch of dirty coal miners to a bunch of ignorant out of work hillbillies in three generations. Everybody knows that we're an educated, poor, violent, racist, inbred. It's all true. Yeah. Had a Game Boy. All this shit is very new. You're trapped by all that. I'm the last hillbilly. You know why? I was the last free kid in America. That is the trailer for the award-winning documentary, The Last Hillbilly. And this is Factual America. We're brought to you by Alamo Pictures, a London-based production company making documentaries about America for international audiences. Today, we're talking about a part of America that is vanishing before our eyes, specifically rural Appalachia, as chronicled in the documentary, The Last Hillbilly. Joining us are the directors and writers, Diane Sara Buzgaru and Thomas Jenko. Diane and Thomas, welcome to Factual America. How are things with you? Well, as good as it can be under, uh, under this situation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've had a, one of a, we had a director on uh, from California who described it. He's COVID good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we just... Uh, That's a good answer. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, uh, it's a weird, uh, weird moment to live and uh, we're kind of uh, looking forward to to be alive again. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. In all that, in all that that actually means. Um, so we're talking about the film, the last hillbilly, uh, premiered late, late last year, I think, uh, uh, one best international doc at the Torino film festival. Uh, you got a special mention at IDFA for, under the first appearance category. Uh, Variety describes as the last hillbilly takes a poetic look at the demise of white rural America. Thanks so much for coming onto the podcast and congratulations. Uh, as you've already alluded to, uh, 2020s was quite a, and has been quite a challenging time for most of us, but uh, in many ways, it's been an incredible year for you too, hasn't it? Well, yes, yeah. we've been very, like it was uh, so strange because we, we, we just uh, finished uh, editing the film like a week before the lockdown in France. So we were like completely pumped up and, and happy and excited and and it was uh it's it seemed far away, the virus seemed very far away from us and suddenly it just became 
this whole thing that uh, kind of stopped uh, the, the world space. So it was, it's kind of like bittersweet. It's like we were very lucky that the film is uh, a success in the festival that can happen. It's loved and it's understood. So we feel very grateful because this is kind of, uh, it's a particular film. Like we, we, we took some, some risk and uh, we're very happy that people um, received the film so well. And at the same time, it's kind of uh, hard to have your first uh, feature film uh, kind of uh, interrupted by this uh, particular year. So mm. uh, we're very happy that we got to, to, to leave this film festivals, even from afar, like in Amsterdam and Torino, we couldn't be there, but we're very, very happy and, and really grateful to have these uh, prizes and uh, the interviews. So yeah, it's, it's been a, in a way, it's been a very beautiful year for us. Okay. Um, how's the, uh, I mean, is it available to stream? Has this been, had a wider release yet? Uh, no, it's, um, it hasn't, uh, it's, uh, it's a film that uh, we're, was supposed to, to go out in theaters in France, like in uh, December. Mm -hmm. So it's gonna um, hopefully it'll be out in theaters whenever it's uh, possible to yeah maybe in, in spring we hope now it in spring and then uh, uh, so far it's uh, we are looking for uh, uh, for, for that and uh, it's not uh, it's not going to be streamed online for now okay well we'll keep an eye out for it because I'm sure this will see the the light of day. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm certain of that. Um, if you don't mind, I mean, so unless they've been at uh, part of the, some of these festivals, um, very few of our listeners will have uh, seen seen this film. Um, I leave leave it to whichever one you want to to answer this, um, but uh, maybe you can give us a little bit of a synopsis of the film. What is The Last Hillbilly about? Um, well, it's a, it's a film about uh, a world that is kind of on the verge of uh, disappearing or there is a, a sense of uh, an era that comes to an end and it's uh, embodied in the path of uh, of a, a, a man that's called Brian Ritchie that lives in uh, Eastern Kentucky. So who is a hillbilly, which is a, a word that is famous in America, but it's uh, not that famous uh, outside of it. And so it's, uh, it's, kind of, it's an insult, like it's a cliche of uh, people that live in Appalachia. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it's, uh, we go through his uh, mental and daily path and um, it's a, it's a fresque on several years on how this man uh, captures and, uh, and goes through this uh, moment where he realizes that uh, he lives on a, on a wasteland and that uh, what was before is no longer here and uh, what the cliche represented in a bad way is no longer here no, nonetheless because um, there is a, it, it's, an, it's an area that was uh, once very much isolated and kind of lived kind of like the, the pioneers, like the, the people that came to America. And then the, 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 the war on poverty arrived and uh, they understood they were poor, they didn't know that. And then the mines 
came came to the Appalachian Mountains, and they suddenly became uh, caught up in this identity of being miners, and and the, the land was wasted, and the jobs went away, and so there's like a huge gap in their identity and in their existence. So it kind of uh, it's a long synopsis. I'm sorry, but kind of is the um, uh, an interior journey into this uh, this period of time. Yeah, because we we I can add some uh, a few words about uh, the cinematic approach of the film because we tried to to develop an immersive and a poetic approach, and uh, the film um, offers to enter the life of uh, Brian, uh, mm. who who is our protagonist. And uh, to to dive into his uh, stream of consciousness and uh, with uh, with a lead voice of uh, of his poems. Mm. I think well, I, it wasn't too long. You you've touched on a lot of uh, points that I think we wanted to to talk about, and we'll discuss in in more detail, um, and, and including your your approaches to telling this story. I think which is extremely interesting. Um, but let's let's talk a little bit more about Brian Ritchie himself. I mean, um, here's your protagonist. Um, I would call him a hillbilly poet. Uh, yeah. As you say, the word hillbilly, uh, yeah. for those who don't know, I mean, yes, it's, it's derogatory. Maybe not quite as, I don't know, it's like redneck or hick in American English, you know. Um, um, but... Uh, He's a very interesting individual that you've brought to the to the big screen. So maybe you could tell us a little bit more about about this man, Brian Ritchie. First, first of all, we we met uh, him by chance in uh, 2013 in uh, the parking of uh, of a fast food in uh, in Kentucky. But it was not in the east of Kentucky; it was in the in the west of mm -hmm. Kentucky, and. Um, he was very surprised to to see some French people uh, in his place, and um, he he heard us uh, talking in French, and he decided to to come to to us, and uh, we talk a bit, and uh, then he he said to us, "Oh, you know, I can uh, introduce you to the true Kentucky." We, which is my place, which is in yeah. Appalachia. So if you want to, you can uh, go with me tomorrow to my place, mm -hmm. to Appalachia. So that was the first meeting with, uh, with Brian. Yeah, and we were like incredibly lucky to find this man because he's quite, quite a man. Like yeah. he, it's, uh, it's unbelievable. We met, we met him by chance. And uh, so we, we really, it was a really, at first it was really like a friendship, a strong friendship between us because mm -hmm. he was very eager to explain us what was, what was behind this expression hillbilly. And uh, at first he was very kind of, um, um, he was quite, uh, at first he was quite positive. He was in this moment where he was like really finding this insult. So he was kind of taking this insult and trying to make something out of it. Mm -hmm. And at first, it was something that he was really eager to share. And also, while we lived uh, in his trailer in a, in a, like uh, in Appalachia, we, uh, the whole time we we filmed, which is like kind of from 2015 to 2019, we lived with him uh, and his family, and so we got to be very close to him. Mm -hmm. And he uh, he's a, a terrific poet. He's a very 
talented and we discovered his texts like he had all kinds of notebooks and we were very struck by his uh, the powerful the, the power of uh, of his words and his poems and um he kind of instantly became a character like you could mm. like he had this charisma he had this way of putting out in words uh, a very strong um uh, testimony of what was going on both in his inner world and in the outer world which was kind of all even bigger than just eastern Kentucky and what uh, Appalachia was going through so it was kind of obvious very quickly that this man needed a film to be done with and on him it was like uh, it was a uh, we we just uh, we just met this character on the road, you know. And uh... <laughs> well, it strikes me that I mean, it says a lot about him. I mean, he he heard he recognized you were French or at least foreign, yeah, and just approaches you. I mean, this isn't your typical person anywhere. I mean, not just in Kentucky. No, he's he's you know? very he's very uh, curious, yeah. very bright, and he he is this weird. Uh, self-taught intellectual yeah. that really was uh, it was very important to him that we were strangers and that we didn't have any idea of the hillbilly meaning yeah. so we were kind of virgin on this on this identity so I think it was important for him because um, if we would have been like New Yorkers or like yeah, somewhere yeah. elsewhere in America it would have been very complicated yeah because yeah. there is this whole uh, cliche and the weight of the cliche and so it's kind of like both uh yeah. both sides look at each other with defiance and uh, yeah. so we were out of that equation uh, immediately just a quick question what what were two french filmmakers doing on vacation in in kentucky <laughs> well that's exactly our point we wanted to be in the the smallest remote place in america yeah. we wanted to go out of the touristic uh uh so, yeah that's like that, we, that's what we we were looking for yeah at this moment we kind of decided like we wanted to go kind of to the south of america and uh we we happened to have uh heard about the the feuds like uh, the families uh, fighting each other in uh like in the beginning of uh the hatfields and mccoys exactly yeah, exactly. yeah. yeah, yeah. So we were like what the hell is going on in a small town in in Amer in kentucky and we what the funny thing is that we called to like we booked a hotel in uh yeah. in london and so when we called they were like you're sure you want like london kentucky this is not london england <laughs> <laughs> and we were like yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and people kept asking us like but you're here on purpose really <laughs> we were like yeah <laughs> so it was kind of uh it was a trip like it was a vacation but we we kind of already knew we wanted to work together like we were uh we, we both kind of worked in the shadow of both our uh, yeah. our films like made by by thomas or by me mm -hmm. and we had this kind of like uh, interest this passion for uh, the american history like the, the violence of this territory the like we, we we wanted to do a film about america or in america at least and and, uh, and kentucky was a very is a very interesting state because it's a it's a flyover state and uh, nobody wants to to go there and um uh, nobody cares about yeah. Kentucky so that's why it was so interesting for us yeah I think well that's I think that brings us to uh, let's let's 
follow up on that. I mean, tell our listeners something about rural Eastern Kentucky. I mean, I'm, I'm originally from the U.S. I've, I've been to Kentucky, but actually not to, uh, I haven't been to Eastern Kentucky, but what is, what is Appalachia in that part of the world like, at least for, especially for uh, two people from France? Well, it's, um, it's uh, beautiful, first of all, because yeah. it's like uh, the Appalachian Mountains are very, very beautiful, even if it's the end of, the, of the, these mountains. So it's mainly hills and it's very isolated. Like you're in the center of America, but it kind of feels like you're, you're out of America because um, people are so far away from, from the world, the city. They have a very strong uh, mountain life. Like they, you can feel that people live off the land. They live for the land. They are, they are kind of, uh, their feet are uh, in the mud of uh, Kentucky. They, they're very, uh, there's this, a, a long tradition. Uh, it's it's a it's a place where um, like the the generation of like the grandparents like the older uh, people they they lived in in uh, conditions that are uh, very uh, mm. far from our uh, our uh, conditions because they didn't have like roads they have uh, they were very very much isolated until like the nineteen the nineteen fifties or something and so uh, it's mainly hills and all. Um, it's a lot of, uh, so Kentucky was uh, really built on this uh, family clans that were uh, like kind of uh, fighting each other uh, for a long, long time. And so there is a, a lot of people that, that have relatives uh, uh, in, the, in, the, in the county. And so it's very much uh, uh, clanic, I would say. And, uh, and people live like on, on the bottom of the hill or on top of hills and uh, they, there is a, a long tradition of um, of being kind to one another, like being uh, helpful to one another, and so and to be self-sufficient. To be yeah, mm. there is a strong desire to not to be uh, sub submissive, like, to be submitted to the federal state. Like yeah. we, as French people, it's kind of weird because uh, we <laughs> we expect everything from the state, and in America in general, we kind of felt that That's it the was. Opposite kind of the opposite, it's like, no, we don't want your help. <laughs> so it's kind of weird for us, but interesting. And in Kentucky, you can add that because they, they, they like, you don't really see much, uh, not in Kentucky, but like in this particular area in, in Appalachia, you don't really see much of like representatives of the states. So you kind of feel, um, uh, yeah, I, I, isolated and uh, and free in a way but at the same time there the downside is that uh, you you kind of are uh, uh, living uh, under the like uh, laws that are just made by humans so it's, uh, it's, uh, it's yeah well it's it's interesting because just given that i'm i'm from america originally I, I i will bring my own sort of prejudices probably to this whole conversation <laughs> but I'm originally from Texas, so uh, you know there, there's 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 reputational uh, issues there as well. But uh, I mean, you know, the, so this is interesting because you've already kind of alluded to this. Uh, you came to this, as you said, almost it's like virgins, like you had no knowledge of of what to expect. Because I was going to say, you know, there's a stereotype Appalachia at, at, at the, in the most positive way. I mean, it's coal mining, it's poor, it's you know all these things. 
and yet so did you were completely had no idea or did it live up to these any of these stereotypes and then and how and how did it defy the stereotypes that you you had if you had any going in we kept like we we kind of were based our uh, our thoughts about what we lived there and uh, we like brian was a uh, was a uh, very interesting uh, to 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 be with because uh, he we we understood that the the stereotype was like uh, as any stereotype true and false it was much more mm. complex so what we experienced ourselves was um, we were very generously welcomed and people uh, were nice to us and probably also uh, more uh, at ease with us because we were introduced by one of them which is brian mm. and we we worked like we it was very important for us to be accepted we understood that there was um, there's a downside of uh, being um, uh, wanting to be alone is that you can also have uh, a little uh, maybe uh, Defiance is a strong word, but in, I'm, like in English, I can't find a, a lower word. But I mean, we, we understood that, that, that we, we had to, uh, we wanted to, to, to be immersed and to be uh, accepted and, to, uh, and to, um, to, to live amongst them and to be kind of, uh, we kind of slowly became, became uh, parts of uh, their the family and their, uh, their circle of friends. And so the, the cliche uh, is uh, that's, that's why we have this scene with Brian uh, dressing the camera to say, yes, we're hillbillies, yes, we're this, we're that, mm. we're, but we, we are what you think of us. But at the same time, we're not. And at the same time, how can we live uh, under such cir circumstances that we are in, in, in nowhere and we don't have, we don't even have enough to be hillbillies anymore. So it was kind of... Um, you want to talk? I feel you want to yeah, talk. Because, yeah, because <laughs> for, for me it was uh, for me it was weird because I, I didn't know what to expect about yeah. Uh, yeah. about uh, going going there. But uh, when uh, when I was uh, when I was there, it was uh, it reminds me something about my own life because uh, I come from a very poor white trash family in France and come from the north of France. We've got some problem with uh, the mines industry. My dad was a farmer. And uh, yeah. I mean, uh, um, I've got so many uh, stuff in common with, uh, with these people. And for me, it was, it was very, very, very weird to, to face that yeah. at this moment. So it, it, gave, me, it, it gave me a, a, a key to, to understand how it works and uh, mm. yeah we, we're not very much interested in uh, in having this stereotype be the subject of, of our films it was more mm. how like the perspective of the past and the present and the future and and how no matter what identity it is it is an identity that has of course uh, that can sometimes uh, relate to the cliche and sometimes completely go against the cliche. So it was kind of like a very dense uh, experience of this stereotype. But what we were most interested in is uh, that Brian was kind of like uh, questioning this, uh, this culture and questioning uh, this moment of history because they're stuck in a, in a very like long death in a way because there is there is nothing left for them to 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 live like there is uh, 
there is no more mines, there is no more um, uh, jobs, and uh, their identity is what, what he says is kind of stuck in the past, and there is uh, no future ahead of them. So we were more interested in, um, in, uh, in filming and really understanding that more than to kind of, uh, you know, um, it would have been uh, probably an approach, an easy approach to just be like, oh yeah, let's film the white yeah. trash America. And which yeah. it wasn't like we, we were very close to them, even though there were of course some stuff that, uh, that we maybe didn't agree on or something, but uh, we, 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 we wanted to be more profound and like to just really uh, uh, seize the moment, which was a, a very interesting moment because Brian was really capturing something that relates to hillbillies, but of course were very much about about our world today. And even like a, anyone can relate to what he says. I think mm. even even outside of Appalachia. I think that brings us to to a good point for an early break for our listeners and um, we'll be right back with uh, Diane and Thomas after after this quick message uh, about Palomo Pictures you're listening to Factual America subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook Instagram or Twitter at Alamo Pictures to keep up to date with new releases or upcoming shows check out the show notes to learn more about the program our guests and the team behind the production now back Factual America. Welcome back to Factual America. I'm here with Diane Sarah Buzgaru and Thomas Jenko, the directors of The Last Hillbilly. Um, we've been talking a lot about uh, your experiences making the film about Eastern Kentucky, uh, Brian Ritchie, um, and how, you know, maybe I've kind of derailed the uh, conversation a little bit talking about stereotypes, which you didn't really bring to the, to the table. But that you really wanted to explore this sort of this historical perspective, the past, present, and future, and and how it's embodied in this in this one man and his family, um, this Brian Ritchie. Um, and what strikes me, I mean, he, he's we've already talked about him being a poet, a philosopher. He's very emotionally intelligent, bright. Um, if you want to go to stereotypes, he's not your typical hillbilly, certainly that people are thinking of. Um, yeah, he says some, I mean, we don't have any clips, but we have, he says some very interesting things, for, some profound things that I had never thought of. I mean, he even brings up this whole point, this whole hillbilly identity is only three generations, right? Mm-hmm. Which I thought was very interesting. It's, you know, they were mountaineers. And as you said, they kind of weren't discovered. They didn't even know they were poor until you had the uh, different programs of the 20th century that were put in place to to raise living standards in, in that region. And in a blink of an eye, from a even human history standpoint, it's all gone, you know? Uh, and, and where do they go to next? I mean, I think you've, uh, you've captured that extremely, extremely well in, a, in, a, in going back to, you know, in this era of documentary filmmaking becoming, um, well, a lot of it's quite entertaining and quite, excellent on its own but it's uh you've kind of almost gone back to the roots of documentary filmmaking i would say it's very observational except it's not purely observational um and so maybe we can start looking at the making of this film further i mean how did you decide to 
to create this this film that you've made and and how did you just so let's start off how did you decide to structure the story because that's that's interesting <laughs> well <laughs> it took uh, it took us a long time because uh we like we we really had uh, our our vision kind of uh, stayed the same throughout the years of producing it. We wanted to have a film that would be aesthetically very innovative, and uh, that would uh, that uh, we would want to create a documentary that per se wouldn't be necessarily what you expect of a documentary. We wanted to. Uh, dive into his stream of consciousness and create um, a moment that is more poetic than narrative and so create shots, create an editing mm -hmm. that would uh, make things interact uh, in something that would not be necessarily understandable. Uh, so we wanted to dive into his stream of consciousness and express that moment uh, in a way and then go out of it and uh, have more like an immersive experience of his encounters and his daily life. And we filmed uh, for so many years. And um, and we we kind of like uh, experienced living with Brian and his family because we really were uh, like very close to, to, to them and they welcomed us very generously. So we could really sense what was going on years after years. And we, at first we wanted to, to, to film what it is to be a hillbilly. The, the 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 interactions you like the what the, the 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 strong relationship you have to your land and all that but then we kind of understood that there was something at stake that's come something was going on which was it was getting darker and darker mm -hmm. and you could feel brian becoming more and more uh a witness uh, a, a desperate witness of um the exhaustion of this this land and uh, and um and somehow the, the, he, he kind of kind of saw this moment which is weird because we finished the film we 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 begin our film with an epidemic and uh, and because we we felt that there was something about death that was happening like in every every sense of the world and so um that's uh, that's kind of um that's what we realized going through the editing process is that we had we could have decided to just make the film uh, based on the footage we had like the, the last year, like in 2019, but we really felt it would be very powerful and beautiful to have this kind of fresh that, that go throughout, that goes through some years and where the children grow up and time passes. And even though there is not um, a date that can tell you time is uh, passing by, you, you somehow feel that. And so the structure of the film was uh, changed from the from, from the, the beginning to the end of the editing, yeah. And also from the writing oh, process yes. through yeah. the the editing process. It was kind of a very important moment for us, the editing part, because we had all that. Like it's kind of always the same in documentary. You have all this collected material, and uh, and you have to find one path uh, mm -hmm. inside. So we had like 130 hours of shooting. Of uh, so we had a lot of hours and a lot of options. Yeah. We had uh, tried all kinds of uh, ways of directing, 
and it was a moment to be affirmative and to decide, okay, this is the story. This is a story of one man, uh, Brian Ritchie. And um, this is his inner path that we want to, to, to express. And at the same time, through this inner journey, we want to meet the ones that stayed, the ones that are here, still here, the one we want to, to the audience to feel all the ghosts that are amongst them because some, some passed away, some left, some cannot go, come back. So, and then we wanted to project Brian into the future and to, for him to, to, to kind of uh, not disappear, but I mean, to his voice stops because he's speechless in front mm. of that catastrophe. But the kids, which we loved and loved filming yeah, with, yeah. they take over the film and they create, the, like they, 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 they play in the ruins of this world and they make something out of it. We don't know what. We know there is a heavy cloud over their heads, but they have life because they're kids. So that's kind of what, how we decided to structure the film is like to what is the beginning? And the beginning is this epidemic, which is kind of a, maybe a... Yeah, because it's a story uh, of a contamination. Yeah. That's we a contamination it, of death, uh, yeah. which uh, goes uh, through the theme. Yeah. Mm. We wanted to, to have that, uh, you said pro prologue in yeah. uh, English? A yeah. prologue? Yeah. 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 We wanted to open the film on, um, because we heard about this epidemic that killed all these deers one summer. And people said, yeah, it, it smelled like death. And we saw all these bodies in the waters, the deers were dying. And we were not there that summer to film that. But it struck us that um, it was a powerful story. And we decided to open the film on that because it was kind of a metaphor of what the, the region was uh, experiencing. And it was a way of opening the documentary on a... On a it's a, it's a tale. Yeah. It's a tale which uh, very fastly become um, a nightmare. Yeah. Mm. And no, also we, yeah. Yeah. We 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 had this text that he screamed like this kind of how like a preacher does, and yeah. he he wrote that for us. Like, but uh, like he decided to do that. We we came one one summer, and he was like, "Oh, I have this recording," mm. and it was very important for us to use that because it. It, 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 it's how Brian, it's a journey through the violent uh, days of the beginning of America. And he goes through all this amazing preach that uh, arrives to his situation. So mm. it it's was a, a great, yeah. I, I found the opening quite powerful. Um, yeah, you do, you know, spoiler alert for those who haven't seen it yet. You, you know, it starts off for you. You're seeing, um, yeah, scenes of wildlife and these deer that are uh, um, essentially dying from some sort of fever that they have. And you've got the voiceover of Brian's uh, poetry, basically. Uh, and, uh, and then something we'll get to as well is the sound that's combined with it that, um, with the, that goes along, which is, is quite uh, evocative. Um, and I guess... I mean, is it fair to say then that you, you do have these three chapters or, and that's, so another spoiler alert, just so you're aware, it's not chronological. It's just, it, maybe we could say it's thematic, but it's, you know, you've got, uh, 
you start with the under the family tree and then you've got wasteland and then uh, you end with the land of tomorrow, which kind of makes sense. As you say, you end up with the children yeah. uh, and, and these adorable children, actually, uh, you've captured some, I was describing one of the scenes to my daughter who's like 16 years old and she goes, well, yeah, that's what kids would do with a fish if they found a dead fish. So, <laughs> I mean, that's, you, know, it's, you know, if yes, there's a whole scene about two children finding a dead fish that gives you kind of a, yeah. You know, and, uh, some idea of what we're we're talking about here, but it is, but it it, it more than serves a purpose. It's very, uh, you're 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 letting the cameras roll, and you're capturing so much. And as you said, you had 130 something hours. I don't know how you you know decide what what hour and uh, 15 minutes that you go with, but uh, um, no, I I think it's. Uh, it's it's very as you've said i think you're what you wanted to achieve is something more poetic and stream of consciousness i think is the best word for this it's almost like a faulkner no it's like it's like a faulkner novel i mean you don't think you don't think chrono chronologically in stream of con we don't none of us think really chronologically well i happen to but i'm a bit strange but uh you know where your mind goes all over the place something a smell will trigger this memory or a, some, you'll see something that triggers that yeah, and then you'll start thinking of the future, and it all gets all wrapped up. Um, and hence, yes, you've taken this whatever this four, four to five years of of filming and mashed it all up, you know, and to to achieve this. Um, and, and speaking of filming, I mean, uh, some have made much of this, but why, uh, you know, why did you film in a, a you know Academy ratio? Except for you know, I mean, that beginning bit you had to, you did, weren't there for the filming, so you took what filming you someone else filmed yeah. uh some of these scenes but why uh and maybe you can explain to our listeners what academy ratio means and why and then why you've chosen to to film in that in that uh, format it was a choice that we'd made very early on and uh, i think it was because we there was kind of the temptation of filming these landscapes uh kind of like you know in the westerns you know with mm -hmm. like a very beautiful scenery yeah. and uh, and uh, we want to kind of uh, go maybe in a different uh, approach of the tradition and be like close to the bodies and close to like a the, so the square format uh, it's kind of vert more vertical so we as we wanted to film from the earth to the sky it was kind of like a um, filming uh, being closer to the bodies than and discovering the, the the space surrounding them by being in interaction with their bodies, and uh, it also was kind of like a of a way of uh, showing that the, the American myth is kind of like fragmented and kind of already destroyed, and you can have like bits of pieces of it, but you can't really have the the whole cinemascope where mm. because it is the it has to do some with some thing that we felt there with which was the, the kind of like the america is kind of crumbling like there is this kind of uh, divisions and it's like uh, we wanted to film what's left of it and so it was uh, this choice and also the fact that um, as uh, photographers do they they take photos and then sometimes they reframe Mm -hmm. and uh, they 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 change the point of view by uh, slowly like just maybe being a bit uh, more on the bottom or on the left and and so we were very much interested in the work of uh, mark cohen which is a photographer that uh, from we, pennsylvania yeah he's mm. 
photographed the, the same small town in Pennsylvania and he has these weird angles and we're very much interested in capturing the movement of life and entering life and being able to express it, not especially with Jack's just like a, a steady shot, wide angle and all that. And um, so it was a way also of being able to, to work on our uh, frames after uh, mm -hmm. we have shot that. It doesn't mean that we, we were like, yeah, well, we can feel uh, however we want. And <laughs> we worked that on the editing. No, it, was, it was to give us the latitude to be able to, to really choose our, um, how we would frame the, the shot we, we edited. And the square format is a, is a way to come back to the birth of cinema. I mean, uh, it was the format in the beginning of the, of the cinema, which is uh, very interesting because I think you, you cannot really tell in uh, which, um, in which uh, year the, the film uh, had been, um, had been uh, done. I mean, mm. because of the format and because of the colors and. Uh, yeah okay and then combine that obviously we know just as important is sound and you uh you know i think it could have been fine it could have i mean first of all we've got brian's poetry his voice voice over or he even talk, speaks to camera and then um and then obviously we have the uh you know we have the the different people in the in the film talking to each other um but then you also added on um uh jay gambit's uh music and set well sounds that go along with it how was i mean that how did you come about uh, uh putting that into the film and um you know and, uh, maybe you can say a little more about that yeah so it's jay gambit and it's uh co-composed with tanya burn which is uh there um the we 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 knew we wanted to work with jay because uh, we knew his band Crawhurst and uh, we wanted to have noise music from the beginning. Uh, we knew the music would have uh, an importance in our film. Probably didn't um, expect the, the music to have uh, that, that particular place in our film, but it was very interesting because uh, Tanya and Jay and Sam, uh, who recorded the music uh, we, we we had them come over during the editing process and uh, we were late <laughs> and so it was supposed to be a moment where we would um, have them compose the, the soundtrack the, the original soundtrack but we were supposed to have uh, to be more advanced in the editing process and we were running late so we we're very anxious you have no idea and so they came and uh, we had them coming over to France and for four days, um, they worked and we showed them the, so we, we had one rough cut. So it was very, the, the first version mm. we had, which was horrible yeah. <laughs> as any, any first rough cut. But somehow they kind of like, they watched the film. We were completely like, oh my God, this yeah. is. And they, were, they, and they understood very well yeah, what, they, we, what we were trying to do. Yeah, they the kind film. of, uh, understood even things that we couldn't even uh, like the whole dimension of the all the minds that uh, this this past that is still here and it's kind of fading away they really uh, got that and they got the melancholy of how we filmed childhood and uh, um, the, so they worked on that first rough cut and for for three days we were like uh, stressed out because we were like uh, 
in the very early stages of editing and they at the very end they, they said well we, we we're done we have the soundtrack for you and so they played for us this 45 minutes of different musics and i remember we were like kind of i was in tears because i was i was so exhausted and stressed about the film and suddenly we had this person that understood what we were going to do in advance of us kind of and so mm -hmm. it was kind of a gift and it helped us uh during the editing process because uh we just we 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 decided to have a music that would be part of the narration so it wouldn't be just illustrative but it would really be one of the elements we would put together to create a moment so they created a very melancholic uh, uh soundtrack and uh we built a lot of um a lot of the yes. not all of the of the film but like some mm -hmm. moments are built on making sequences like we it was also an editing thing is that we wanted to open scenes and have them uh you know intermingle so we open one scene and we got to another one and another one and then you come back so and the music goes up and down and uh, you hear like we tried to work on uh, on what we gave as an information, a verbal information, because usually documentaries you have a lot of interviews and, mm. and you give you give this verbal information to the to the people, the audience, and we really wanted to try to express something with words, but not like we had a lot of interviews. We decided to not to use to not mm. to use them, but to try to express. Like for instance, the meth epidemic, like the, the drugs that are um, really a, a major thing in Appalachia. We, we had a whole interview, but we thought with just this, this part of the poem and the melancholy we, we're gonna have to, to create with the music and how the, the images uh, interact. We really tried um, to, to, to create moments where you can receive all the information you need to understand what's going on. And the music helped very much on that. Yeah, the, the music brings brings back the the ghost of the past uh, mm. from the area, so yeah. which which was very important for us from the beginning. Mm. It, or, it, or it can like um, precipitate the future. Like for instance, yeah. the end the end yeah. of the film, the music is very. It's kind of like so you see this dead fish. Like I don't want to give too much spoilers. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. There is a funny scene and a very uh very yeah funny weird scene but then suddenly you take uh some perspective and the music gets tragic in a way and and dark and uh, suddenly you watch them from afar and you understand the future is ahead and it's not it, and it's a menace in a way mm -hmm. to these children so it, it it was really really um major uh element of our uh, of creating our film i think i i think it what struck me while watching it uh is that uh and i think i have the link for one more day so i'll have another look it is it's definitely i felt like it was one of these films you're going to want to watch much more that you're going to want to watch it more than once because it's like every time you watch it you're going to pick up on something because you're not spoon feeding anything and i think that's great you didn't put the uh you didn't put the interviews in yes there is a i mean and it doesn't pretend you know you don't have to have a knowledge about these things but if you do have a little bit of a knowledge of what's happening in 
parts of or much of America and 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 certainly and specifically in uh, this part of it. Uh, yeah, you know, there is this reference to we don't know who this person is, uh, but someone who I, I at least I didn't catch a reference, but someone obviously dear to Brian has passed away because of because of the uh, oxycotton or whatever the, the different drugs are that uh, the the opiates um, and you know you you get a lot of there's a lot of this you know there's there's kind of uh um i'm sure if i watch it again i'm going to realize oh that's what that is referring to or but yeah. but you know but at the same time you don't need to watch it more than once to to appreciate i think what 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 you're trying what you're saying um i mean i guess do you ever worry about uh because i was going to lead right into what where you'd left off but uh, one thing, do you worry about, in, in making an artistic film, a poetic film as you have, do you worry about accessibility of the viewers? Is that something that concerned you when you were, you were putting this together? Yeah, very. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 We were definitely uh, uh, concerned by the audience and uh, like to trust the audience also mm. and trust that he or she would uh, enter the journey and grab enough information to be uh, comfortable and uh, uh, comfortable enough to, to to go through the film without leaving. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, it was a very, very important question when we edited is that uh, we, we were not just in a bubble like we worked with our producer. We had uh, some feedbacks regularly on what the audience uh, uh, this, uh, uh, expressed of uh, all the stages of the editing um, pr uh, process. And so, yeah, it definitely is not something that uh, we, we, we are very, we want the film to be to be loved and to be seen and to and even though we know uh, that there are some challenges like for instance the fact that uh, you don't have a cardboard telling mm -hmm. you where it is who they are how long we filmed etc we know there is there are some moments where you can be a bit lost but at the same time it's okay as long as you have enough branches yeah. to, to to grasp and uh, and we definitely were very much concerned about uh, how an audience could react to this. And we wanted to do a film that was short from the beginning. Yeah. And as you say to us, it's very important that what's real is not just what you see and hear, like right now, what's real is how you project yourself and suddenly you remind something of the past and then you are in the, pre like, And what's how you can feel the, image, the images, the sound and the, it's it's a very i think it's a very personal uh pass in the in the film i mean uh, every every person who watches the film can can have a different approach of it can uh, can have a different uh, feeling about it can tell to to himself or herself a different story about the film yeah. which is very important for us yeah and we were uh, that's why we were very happy uh, when the film came out is that it was loved by loved not all the people loved it but i mean <laughs> those who got an interest in it were very broad audience 
Mm. It was not like made to be by uh, to be seen by three intellectuals in a Paris cinema. You know, it was it was really. But we 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 knew there was a challenge mainly on the first part. We knew that, and we worked very hard for it to be not a challenge, but to be something you accept to be like mm. in this weird river and going all you know. So we knew that the last part was the, 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 the part that was more easy to understand and to love. Mm -hmm. And we knew that the first part was the most challenging in terms of comprehension and all that. But we stuck to our plan and we, we stuck to our faith in the fact that it is an experience and uh, that and people it's a, would... Uh, and it's a trip. Yeah. Well, and, and well done you, because I mean, it, it must be quite a challenge to stick to those to those convictions and guns when you, you know, I mean, I've, you probably had some people around you telling you, no, no, you're doing it, that that works. And that, as you said, with the producers and stuff, but, you yeah. know, it could be very easy to to step back and say, wait a minute, this is, or or do something a bit more, uh, more traditional. Uh, but uh, I think, as you say that, I think what's good about that intro is that it throws the gauntlet down. It basically says, look, you're not watching your typical film or documentary here so pay attention you know um i mean you and one thing you were talking about recently was you just earlier was that you know and then then you talk about the ending and it's well as you said we don't want any spoiler alert you know spoilers here but you know it is you brought in the melancholic music and things i mean what what lessons have you drawn from from this experience? I mean, where do you think rural America is heading, or at least Eastern Kentucky? <laughs> that is a tough question. Uh, it seems to come to to an end, in a way. Well, there will and, be no end. It's like a... no, no, but I mean, in a way, <laughs> and in other way, I think it's a it's a chance to 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 create something new there i mean yeah it's that, like a... that's what we we try to that's what we try to to say with the end of the of a film i mean that's why we we wanted to to finish the film with uh, with the kids for instance because kids is, is, the kids are the future so yeah at the same time we we end on the well i don't want to say it but yeah no but it, like there will be no end that's the problem is that <laughs> it is just slowly fading away because for just one reason is that there is no wealth there is no jobs and no other industry comes because it's so far away and isolated mm. that it's not worth it so it is a problem um, for this uh, part of rural america as for the other uh, rural america in general I don't think we have the pretension to mm. to be able to we are like we have two French filmmakers so we we kind of uh, uh, we we know what we feel about this particular place but as for r rural America um, it's hard to say because we have experienced just one small part of it yeah I, th I think that's a very fair point and is um, actually we had a um, uh, podcast of several, well, first season actually with uh, it, we dealt with the other side of the Appalachian Mountains uh, about West Virginia, but very similar issues. 
uh, a county that I don't even think they have a supermarket anymore. You know, there's because all the jobs have you know disappeared and and these sort of things. Um, but uh, you know, but as as observers, as as someone who's documenting things, and I take you up on your point about uh, not saying it. You know not even pretending to think you can say anything more beyond what you've already lived and observed in terms of Eastern Kentucky, but you're flying in and out of the United States. You must see, do you, do you see two Americas? Do you see urban and rural, red and blue, rich and poor, leading and left behind? I mean, is this something that strikes you or is it more, am I trying to read, you know, maybe read too much into this and in that you, what you're really just trying to show is this, very ge very geographically specific corner of the world and what's happening there uh, no it can like uh, it it talks about way more than just this yeah. land it is true that i don't know if there's two but it it sure is a divided world and uh, you can feel kind of the the seismic uh, uh, plagues or whatever uh, yeah. moving and uh, disrupting the present so we definitely there is a strong difference between uh, but it's not i don't know if it's rural versus cities it's more about who's rich and who's poor mm. and the rich get richer and the poor gets poorer and um you can have uh people maybe closer to uh, the person we film maybe in a in the worst neighborhood of uh, of la or something maybe uh, i mean it's uh it's more about the it's also the the winners and the losers and yep. the, and the, the 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 people that uh uh you, that can't uh project themselves because they like um, what we understood of america is that it is a very violent country because it's like um you have no help and it's very hard to make a living and uh, so uh, we understood that it is uh, it is very socially violent because uh, in France, for instance, we do have poverty, but we have all kinds of there is a system of help and assistance that there is not really in America. So it's very very easy to us. It seemed to be very easy to go to be at an extreme point of not being able to have a house. And though in rural America, at least in Appalachia, they do have the trailers and they, they, they still get to have a trailer because it's not that expensive to have, yeah. apparently. But uh, yeah, it, but it is, uh, it is uh, as Thomas said, it can, like people in the north of France could relate because there's no jobs. People, uh, the industries took everything out of them and then uh, pushed them aside and said, okay, we're done with you. So it's also the end of... Uh, of uh, like the, the result of capitalism and uh, mm. uh, of our uh, of uh, current world is that well even our current situation it is uh, we we have there is a, a limit that we it, we seem to have reached and uh, and to to live in a world where the future is unknown and scary for the children concerns all kinds of person not just the Appalachians. So there are some some stuff that are very much uh, uh, on Appalachia, but it's uh, that's what what we wanted to do is a film that would not be stuck. That's why we resisted a lot to 
to the, the here and now is that we wanted yeah. to have a film that that you can watch from afar and not especially just related to 2016 or 2017 mm -hmm. and not just be this film about Appalachia but to have like a a, a larger perspective uh, yeah because what what, uh, what it happens there happens uh, everywhere in the in the world I mean so yeah it is it is um, something that we felt is that uh, Brian was had had this in front of his eyes, but what he what he captured of this moment of history is way deeper and way concerns way more people than just uh, mm. just his family and his uh, the hillbillies. I think I'm going to leave it there. I think that's a perfect way to uh, finish in terms of uh, talking about this film. Um, which I highly recommend whenever it is available that people go and uh, go watch it because I think it does have, we've, we've talked a lot about Eastern Kentucky, but it does have these universal themes that you've uh, just now so well uh, scribed. And, um, and so, yes, the future is scary, but what is next for you two? Well, another film, I guess, and uh, hopefully... Uh, yeah, that's uh, we. Well, first of all, we we are looking forward to the film uh, to come out in theaters in France, and mm -hmm. also to continue this uh, journey outside of France. That we like with the two film festivals that we mm -hmm. were uh, selected in abroad were amazing, and we can we have uh, great international sales persons that work hard so we very much hope that the film will be seen uh in uk in all kinds mm -hmm. of countries mm -hmm. so there's that and then meanwhile uh, while we are on this uh, weird uh, moment where uh, kind of everything is interrupted we we're, we're working right. uh, yeah yeah we, we are writing again and uh, trying to project ourselves in the future well we definitely look forward to seeing what whatever the future brings for you in terms of next films and projects. And uh, thank you. If, if we haven't scared you off, we'd love to have you on again sometime. So uh, yeah, with so just, pleasure. Well, thank you so much. It's been it's been a great. It's hard to believe that that's a, one of the quickest hours I've I think hopefully for you too. Uh, I've, I think I've experienced. So thank you so much for coming on the. Uh, just remind our listeners, we've had the pleasure of chatting with uh, Diane Sarah Buzguru and Thomas Jenko, the directors of The Last Hillbilly. I uh, also want to give a shout out to This Is Distorted Studios here in Leeds, England, and thank them for uh, staying open during yet another national lockdown here in uh, the era of COVID, even into 2021. And please remember to like and share us with your friends and family wherever you happen to listen or watch podcasts. This is Factual America, signing off. You've been listening to Factual America. This podcast is produced by Almo Pictures, specializing in documentaries, television, and shorts about the USA for international audiences. Head on down to the show notes for more information about today's episode, our guests, and the team behind the podcast. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Alamo Pictures. Be the first to hear about new productions, festivals showing our films, and to connect with our team. Our homepage is alamopictures.co.uk.